happy Father's Day before I for, uh, forget to, to say that. Um, man, we know that uh, Father's Day is a, is a wonderful day for many of us, but we also know that Father's Day is, is kind of a rough day. Uh, perhaps it reminds you of a father who is gone, or maybe it reminds you of a father who wasn't uh, who he should have been. And so uh, wherever you are today, we celebrate with you and uh, we acknowledge that uh, man, we have a heavenly Father who, um, man, supersedes every earthly relationship, and uh, we cannot look at our relationship with the heavenly Father through our relationship with our earthly Father. We have to look at our our relationship with our earthly Father through the lens of a relationship with our heavenly Father. And so, uh, be encouraged today. We're glad that you are are here. Um, so you may or may not come to church regularly. You may or may not have any idea uh, what you're getting into by coming here today. We are in a series titled An Investigation, where we are asking some very specific questions about uh, things and people and characters associated with this thing called church. As we uh, dive into the message today, uh, most of you probably know, it's no surprise, as a church, we stand on the Word of God. Everything we do should be based on His Word. And so the first part of this message is one that you may have heard before, but it's, it's so important that I need to be reminded of it from time to time. And so if you're taking notes on the back of your, uh, your bulletin, the outline there, I want you to know that God's Word can be trusted. God's Word can be trusted. Uh, we saw it last week. When God says it, it is so. Now, we could spend all summer right here. We're just going to spend a few minutes. God's Word can be trusted, and I want to give you a, a few reasons why. First of all, it says that it can be trusted. Uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's what we believe. It's profitable for reproof, telling us, hey, listen, that's not right. It's profitable for correction, telling us, hey, listen, that's how you correct it. And for instructions in righteousness, this is how you stay right. So the Word of God is profitable for telling us what we believe, for telling us when we're doing something that's not right, for showing us how to correct it, and showing us how to stay right. That the man of God may be completely uh, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 20-21. No prophecy. Say no prophecy. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy. Say no prophecy. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, your word is truth. Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord, it's another name for the word of God, is perfect. The word that means complete, lacking nothing, without blemish. Psalm 119, 160, the sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And Proverbs 30, 5 through 6, every word of God proves truth. And on and on it goes. And I want to show you one more. I've showed you before. 
Back in Genesis chapter 1, it says, uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so I just want to highlight a few things here in Genesis 1. In verse 3, it starts out, Then God said, Let there be light. And if you look at the end of that, there was light. So when God said it, it's so. Look again in verse 6. Then God said, and at the end of verse 7, it was so. Uh, in, in verse 9, then God said, the end of verse 9, it was so. Verse 11, then God said, the end of verse 11, it was so. Verse 14, the same thing. Verse 20, then God said. Verse 21, then God did it. And at the end of verse 21, it was good. The same with verse 24 and, the, and verse 26. Then God said, and God did it. So here's the point. From the beginning of his word, God has established, when God says it, it is so. It happens and it is good. So we can trust his word. First of all, because it says it can be trusted and it has proven itself over and over and over. Now listen, I I get it. That may be enough for some of us. God's word says it, so that settles it. Uh, but the truth is I can say anything of myself and it not be true. I can tell you that I'm a world-class athlete, but that doesn't make it true. As soon as you see me play any sport, you'll be like, uh, nope, you really don't even have to see, watch me play. Just look at me and you realize, yeah, that's not true. So there are more reasons why the Word of God can be trusted. Next on your outline, because of the wisdom it contains. Because of the wisdom it contains. Okay, so consider the wisdom that is in the Bible that it took scientists years to confirm. Isaiah 40, 22 says the earth is a globe. Job 26, 7 says the earth is suspended in the air. For a long time there have been theories that the earth is flat or it's a cube or it's a disc floating in an endless ocean. But now Google Earth confirms what the Bible has said all along. The earth is a globe suspended in the air. Leviticus 13.46 gives an understanding for contagious germs that even recent science has confirmed. Some germs need to be quarantined. That's a word we are familiar with, isn't it? See, there's wisdom way back in the word of God. Genesis 17.2, when circumcision was given, it was done on the eighth day. And because of science, we now know the eighth day is best for clotting because the liver produces platelets at an all-time high on the eighth day of life. See, His word can be trusted because it says it can, but also because of the wisdom it contains. Now, this is only scratching the surface. Um, Using ashes to purify water in Numbers 19. In, In Job 28, it tells us that air has weight. It actually does. Uh, 14.7 pounds per square inch. I had to look that up, by the way. I did not know that off the top of my head. But still, maybe you need more. We can trust the word next because of the unity of it. We can trust the word because of the unity. It is unified. And here's what I mean. The Bible is one book with 66 smaller books. 
with 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years who lived on three different continents in 13 countries, written in three different languages with many different backgrounds. There were shepherds and fishermen and scholars and doctors and soldiers. And even though there is no possibility that they could have compared notes, there are no contradictions in the entire Word of God. It is said that the old manuscripts are 99% alike. And where they differ would be like uh, if I said, I went to the store on Saturday, or I said, I went to the store with my wife on Saturday. So they're different, but they say the same thing, and they don't contradict. If you ever think that you come upon a, a contradiction in the Word of God, search it out. Because every time I think, okay, Lord, I've got you here. If you dig in deeper, when I dig in deeper, I find, no, it's, it's not a contradiction. Okay, so, so think about this. Uh, about 40, 50 of us in here. Let's, let's say that 40 of us wanted to write a book. We live on the sa- in the same town, in the same culture, and we would have different opinions on some things. But this many different authors over this many different years, and they didn't have different opinions. It's, it's because the Word of God is inspired. It is unified like no other book. Now maybe that's enough for you, but maybe it's still not. There's more reason. The next blank on your outline. Because of the prophecy it contains. Because of the prophecy. The Word can be trusted because of the prophecy it contains. There are at least 365 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus. We're going to look at some of them uh, here today, later in the message. So just grasp the fact that at least 365 different times God spoke to authors in the Old Testament and said some truth about Jesus that actually actually happened. Okay, so let's do some mathematical uh, odds here. The odds of only eight prophecies being fulfilled by chance in the life of one man, Jesus, is one in one quadrillion. That's one with 17 zeros. One in eight. Uh, the chances of eight prophecies coming true in one person. You've heard some of these before. Uh, if we double that number to 16 prophecies being fulfilled by chance in one man, are one in ten with 45 zeros. If we multiply it by three, we go to 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one man. One in ten with 157 zeros. 157 zeros. The the possibilities, the odds of that happening. It's beyond the realm of possibility that these are by chance. And there are at least 365, and I've heard as many as 400. Something supernatural is involved here. It's because the Word of God is inspired by God. And 1 in 10 with 157 zeros is no big deal for God. He can overcome any odds. Church, I hope that we can see the importance of God's Word that we open each and every week. All these stories that we look at, they're not just stories. They really happen. What they say is true. Again, last week we began this series investigating the importance of the church. And everything that we do should be based 
on the truth of the Word of God. Everything we do should be based on the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus. And that's what we look at here today. Who does the Bible say that Jesus is? You can turn in your, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to be spending most of our time there. And you may be familiar with, with uh, the book of Luke. Chapter 2 records the Christmas story that uh, we have probably, most of us have read or heard read at some point in time. In chapter 3, we are introduced to John the Baptist, and this is where we first meet the adult Jesus. Remember, when, when John the Baptist saw him in the crowd, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. After that, Jesus was driven out by the Spirit to the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. If you haven't read those stories, I encourage you to, because they're good. And they're not just stories. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 31. If you would, please stand out of respect for the Word of God. Hear the Word of the Lord. Then he, that's Jesus, went down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his Word was with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and the report of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. Okay, so what's just happened here? Jesus has exercised a demon. We, we heard a, sto- a similar story last week, the man in the tombs. It's the same deal. De- Jesus demonstrated his power over demons. When these men were held captive by the devil, Jesus came and set them free. So we're just going to keep a, a running list here of information that we, we learn about Jesus. He has power to release the captive. Next blank on your outline. Jesus has power to release captives. And remember, this is more than just a story. It really happened. Let's keep reading. Verse 38, now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So it's, it's more of the same stuff. But this time, Jesus is healing. He healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. Now, when you and I get a fever, when we get sick, we go to the pharmacy, we go to the doctor. But that's not how it was back in, back in these days. All that Jesus had to do was to speak fever left her. 
Verse 40, uh, people were set free from various diseases, healed with just a touch. And so we can write this down. Jesus has power over sickness. Jesus has power over sickness to set free the oppressed. And church, this is not just a story. It really happened. Turn to Luke 5, chapter 12, uh, verse 12, excuse me. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man was full of leprosy, saw Jesus and fell at his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. He charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of, by him of their infirmities. And so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Most of us are familiar with what leprosy is. It is an awful skin disease that, that eats away and decays your body. It's, it's awful. It was a death sentence. You did not want to be be around anyone with leprosy. Jesus touched him. Jesus has power to heal. You can write that down. Jesus has power to heal. So we've seen he has power over demons. He has power over sickness. He has power to heal. Let's keep on reading. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before Jesus. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had, had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, if, you, if you, you're like me, you grew up in Sunday school, you remember this story. You remember seeing the pictures of this guy with four buddies bringing their friend to the roof and, and opening the roof and lowering him right there in front of Jesus. But listen, this is more than just a story in Sunday school. It really happened. All of these examples of Jesus' miracles, they demonstrate something very special about him. That he has power over everything. He has power to release anything that holds people captive. He has power to set free from anything that oppresses. The next blank on your outline. He has power over handicap. He has power over handicap. 
See, that, that's what Jesus came to do, to demonstrate his power to heal, to demonstrate his power over demons and sickness and handicap. Luke 7.21 says, that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Now, remember earlier, we talked about the prophecies that come true of Jesus. One of those prophecies is found in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And when we get to Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus paraphrases that and says it of himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus has power to release captives. Jesus has power to heal the blind. Jesus has power to set free the oppressed. And the next blank on your outline, Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power over death because even after all these incredible miracles and demonstrating his power, the religious leaders hated him for it. They hated that Jesus called them out on their hypocrisy. They hated that Jesus said he was the only way to God. They hated that Jesus said he was God. And so they came up with a plan to get rid of him. Betrayed by one of his followers, Judas. He was arrested, put on trial, falsely accused beaten, tortured, humiliated, and nailed to a cross, and dead, buried in a tomb. But three days later, he showed his power over death by rising from the grave. And church, listen, this is not just some story. It really happened. We have witnesses that saw him, over 500 eyewitnesses, and just like we saw last week, People don't lie to get into trouble. People lie to get out of trouble. If they were lying about Jesus being alive, as soon as they got into any sort of hot water, they would have said, okay, you're right, you got us. Let, let, us, take him, let, let us take you to his body. We, we buried it outside of town. But they didn't because he couldn't, because he was alive. And church, he still is today. Some of them even watched him ascend into heaven. This is not just a story. It really happened. The Bible says it, and the Bible is reliable. So the question becomes, okay, why does it matter? Why does all this truth matter? Well, first, it matters because of who we are. It matters because of who we are, and, and let me explain it like this. There may be some here today that don't really know Jesus as their Savior. When you look on your life, you don't remember a time when you accepted Him to pay for your sins, accepted what He did, His blood shed to cover your sins, and so you are destined for an eternity in hell. It's been described as head knowledge versus heart knowledge. It's been described as knowing stories about God versus knowing stories versus knowing God. Or how Miss Ava explained it to me yesterday. The difference between believing and trusting. 
greatest truth about Jesus mattered. His miracles, the prophecy, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, it all matters because there may be some here who have never accepted that free gift of life. Romans 10, 13, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Secondly, it matters because of where we've been. It matters because of where we've been. Because there may be others here who would say, yes, I remember trusting, put, placing my faith and trust in Jesus. But you really haven't been living like it. We are called to be lights. We are called to be like Jesus to everybody that we come in contact with. And some of us have probably not been living in that place. We're not being good examples of Jesus at all. Zechariah 1.3, thus says the Lord of hosts. Remember who that is. That's the God of angel armies. Return to me that I may return to you. That's a promise of the word of God. Return to him so that he might return to you. Thirdly, it matters because of what we're called to do. Who we are where we've been, what what we're called to do. Jesus' last words to his disciples before he left this earth and ascended into heaven. It's known as the Great Commission, but so many times it's the Great Omission. Matthew 28, 18, All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus matters because we are called to go and tell about him. We are going to look at more at that as the church uh, hopefully later in this series. Man, wouldn't we agree that there is a deep void in our world that can only be filled with Jesus? And so whoever you come in contact with, they need to see the light of Christ. When you think of someone who's lost, who comes to mind? There's your mission field. That's your mission field. And don't we know that the closer they are to us, the harder it is to be on mission because they know us. So we have to leave behind any reservations. We cannot listen to the lies of Satan that said that would say, what, what are you doing? God can't use you. Don't you know what you've done? Don't you remember? Yeah. God remembers as well. But he chooses not to. He could remember, but he chooses not to. As we go into a time of invitation, who comes to mind when you think of someone lost? What is God calling you to do? Where is God calling you to go? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to do it? The, uh, the theme for Super Summer this week was Heliosai. Uh, you'll see these, these shirts. Lando's got one on right now. It's got some Greek word on it. Heliosai is what it, what it says. It means complete the task. 
task is the Great Commission. That's the task. What do you need to do to complete it in your life? Uh, Lord, we invite you to come. <coughs> we thank you for, uh, for your word. We thank you that we can trust your word. Lord, help us to trust your word. I want to lift up those who are here. And Lord, if there are any who, when they look back on their lives, they, they don't remember a time when they accepted your free gift of life to pay for their sins. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation before it's too late. If there are any here who are not living like they know you, even though they should, and I pray that today would be the day they turn back around. And Lord, give us a, a heart for the lost. Help us not to listen to the lies that Satan would love to feed us. But help us to stay the course, to hold fast our faith, and continue to move the gospel forward until we have completed the task that you have for us. We love you, Lord. In the awesome name of Jesus, we pray.